at Goodfellow, we are proud to support Outside In, a charity that aims to provide a platform for artists who face significant barriers to the art world due to health, disability, social circumstances or isolation. For more information or to donate, visit the website materialshub.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to the Materials Inside podcast by Goodfellow, the podcast that will bring materials, knowledge and science, along with art and design, together in the same podcast. Goodfellow is a UK company based in Huntingdon that supplies over 70,000 materials to different industries all over the world. Their team of scientists and sales and marketing experts want to make the materials world accessible to everyone. During the next few weeks, we will be talking about materials from aluminium to zinc for applications from satellites to planes, cars, ventilators, pieces of art and furniture. How do we link it all? Wait and see, or even better, listen to our podcasts. Presented by Joel Alexio, the Global Marketing Manager of Goodfellow, he will be speaking with a range of guests from industry professionals to public figures, artists, celebrities and Goodfellow's own experts. The materials for today are PLA and other polymers. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Materials Inside podcast by Goodfellow. I'm Joel Alexo, the Global Marketing Manager here at Goodfellow. Throughout the series, I'll be discussing a range of materials and their unique uses. The materials for today are PLA and other polymers. Later, to talk about how he uses those materials in his work, we'll be joined by Plastic Jesus, a British artist based in USA. But first, we are joined by the series regulars Dr. Aphrodite Tomu and Adam Sells to discuss the science behind the materials. Adam. Could you tell us a little bit more about PLA? Polylactic acid, also known as PLA, has a name which is potentially confusing. It's not actually a polyacid, but rather a polyester. It was discovered in 1932 by Wallace Carruthers, who also discovered neoprene and nylon. PLA is produced by fermenting carbohydrate sources such as cornstarch and sugarcane. And because PLA is made from these renewable resources, it makes it much greener than other petroleum-based thermoplastics. PLA is also compostable and recyclable, and it can be melted and reshaped without degrading its mechanical properties. All of this means PLA is a much more attractive polymer to consumers who want to pick greener materials. Thank you, Adam. So this is a new material we're going to talk about today. Hello, Aphrodite. Hello, Joel. Thank you for joining us. We're going to talk about PLA today. Very interesting material. Lots of people asking about green materials. Aphrodite, do you want to tell us a little bit more about this material and why is on our green production part of our catalogue? Yes, of course. As Adam said, PLA is bioplastic and biodegradable as well. So it can decompose, for example, but we can discuss later about it. And also it is made from a natural, uh, let's say, raw material. So that's one of the reasons, a natural resource. And that is the reason why we have it in our green production brochure. Let's going to talk a little bit about the, the, the cost of that. Adam, is this an expensive material compared with other plastics, other polymers? It's um, a little more expensive than some more kind of conventional polymers that have been around and used widely for a long time. But considering the fact that it's a much greener option, it's not a lot more expensive. So it would dissuade people from using it. Aphrodite, and is that PLA as green as it sounds? 
well, PLA is very, very green, right? It's a natural product of fermentation of sugars in sugar cane and corn by microorganisms. So PLA, as we said, is biodegradable and it will decompose in nature. However, the decomposition of PLA in nature will take, as all plastics, lots and lots of years, hundreds of years, right? So PLA products will take up to six months to compost in commercial composting facilities. In home composting, it will, may take longer time. If PLA products, for example, are thrown into the trash, they may end up in the landfill and may take very long time over there to compost due to the lack of appropriate conditions that, that you should have in order to compost it. This means that PLA plastic will sit in the landfill alongside with the ABS, which, which can discuss it's another polymer and other plastics. So I would say that it will be more appropriate either to recycle or composted under the appropriate conditions. What are those conditions? What is the, the perfect conditions for the PLA to decompose? Specifically, it's oxygen, I would say, and a temperature of over 140 degrees Celsius together with a cocktail of organic substrates, which helps all of them is like they are acting as catalysts. So the polymer is decomposing and composed. Wow, sounds like a very interesting material, especially with all the concerns with the environment that we have at the moment. This is also a non-toxical material, so can this be used in the human body? PLA is biocompatible and therefore can be used for medical implants and implantable devices. PLA is, as we said, biodegradable, biocompatible, non-toxic and eco-friendly. It is also FDA-approved synthetic degradable polymer and so is used for that reason for tissue engineering, medical implants, orthopedic devices, drug delivery systems or drug carriers as well. Facial fracture repairs, tissue engineering, antimicrobial agents, anti-tumor, ureteral stents, and several miscellaneous and biocompatible materials and applications. If you need to look at uh, replace uh, trolling-based plastic with this one, which type of ma uh, material application would you replace with Aphrodite? So we're discussing about PLA and maybe let's take, for example, 3D printing applications. So in general, I will say for 3D printing applications, the PLA is compared always with ABS, which is the acrylonitrile butadiene styrene, and both are thermoplastics. PLA, although it's stronger, is stiffer, but it has poor heat resistance compared to ABS. Also, ABS is weaker and less rigid, but tougher and lighter, which is making better for plastics and prototyping applications. Unfortunately, PLA has a disadvantage, about 50 Celsius degrees, which is um, the low melting point, which makes it lose the virtuality and stiffness and strength, so people prefer the ABS. Also, it's the PETG that sometimes people are comparing with the PLA. The PETG is the polyethylene terephthalate glycol modified. And again, this one is more heat resistant than PLA. This is the backdrop of the PLA, I would say, the heat resistance. Otherwise, it's amazing material. I need to ask you the question, what is ABS? 
ABS is another polymer which is called acrylonitril butadiene styrene and the, it is a thermoplastic polymer which is very it's rigid uh, light and makes a very good plastic as well to use that's not a green material that's a conventional plastic right yes none of them that i have already said either the PETG is not a green material one of the other problems with the PLA is the, the color, is the fact that uh, it's not crystalline like other plastics. Can that be a problem for a choice of this material? Yes, indeed, that can be a problem. That's also the reason why sometimes we're choosing other plastics like the polypropylene or the polyethylene, that they are transparent and we can see. And it's an ordinary plastic as well, the polypropylene and polyethylene. And they can be recycled. Okay, what about on sales of this material, Adam? In the last few years, did we notice an increase on, on sales of green materials, not only PLA, but the other green materials? We're seeing more inquiries and, and high demand and, and, and high sales for green materials, including polymers, but also other materials that can be used in, in green applications. So yeah, I think a, a lot of research is going into it. So a lot of research institutes are testing these materials in different ways. One of the big things is obviously comparing the generation of microplastics going into the ocean. So samples of lots of different polymers, including green materials, and also for industrial customers that are looking to use materials that are having less of an impact on the planet. What about the forms? What type of forms do we do we have those materials in our catalogue? Again, we can um, have a look on more information on goodfellow.com, but Adam, what type of forms we supply of PLA? PLA is available in films uh, and also available in granule form. So so if, if there are different uh, forms and, and things that customers want to make through extrusion, then we've got granules available. After that, you already mentioned that about 3D printing of this material. Can you see this material being used uh, for an um, artistic purpose? We know that some of our listeners are people that work with materials for art uh, purpose. Can that be used by them? Of course it can be used by them. First of all, as we said, it is a biodegradable material. So I would suggest that uh, we, uh, we should start building a biodegradable society. So yes, uh, I will certainly recommend that. But also above that, it's mechanical properties and it's, I would say, safety uh, of using it. So even if you will inhale a bit of dust, it's not a hazard material. So I would suggest for our audience and all the designers to use it uh, without any fear. Just to add to your earlier point as well, Joel, and, and building on Aphrodite's talking about using it for 3D printing, uh, we do have uh, monofilament as well, uh, polylactic acid uh, monofilament. However, the ones that, that we carry are enhanced with nano diamond and, and uh, graphene. And how does that uh, make it green? Is there any change on the material when you mix with the other materials? Uh, well, both diamond and graphene are carbon materials, so there's no particular biological concern, including those materials in, in the polylactic acid. They're there to improve the properties of the material. As you said, improve the properties, thermal properties and mechanical properties of the material. And the content of graphene and the nanodiamonds will be so small, so let's say about 0.2% to up to 2% weight percent. So there's no reason why not use it and why not consider as green. 
The green aspect is something that uh, we are very concerned at Goodfellow. Do you want to mention other green materials that we may have on our catalogue? Of course, we're going to have another episode where we're going to talk about one of the big materials, the green graphene. But any others that you want to talk about? I think the point that I would make is we've got our brochure and we've got our materials that we say are green. Um, but I think the thing that we should be thinking about is is actually it's not the materials really that make them green or not. It's humans and, and how we use them. So actually it's about thinking about the amount of energy that it used to create the material, uh, how long that material was going to be in use, how much energy it's going to consume compared to other materials when it's being used, and then what we do when it comes to the end of its life. So obviously the materials that we've picked in for our brochure fulfill one or more of, of those considerations. So um, I don't know if, if Aphrodite wants to add any more, but one of the examples there would be a maybe one of the foams that we provide. It's not particularly energy efficient or it uses quite a lot of energy to produce, but it will be in its application for a long time. And whilst it's in its application, it will be lightweight and therefore maybe save energy uh, during its lifetime. That's the interesting point. Um, I was in New York a few years ago with someone that works with materials and, and he was also explaining that the green of the material is not just necessarily the way that he recycled, the way that he's produced is all of that together. So sometimes just the fact that you reduce the weight of something, so you reduce the consume of fuel can be seen as green. But it's, it's an interesting point. I know that we're going to have lots of people probably having different views on that. What do you think, Aphrodite, as a scientist, about this green product vision? First of all, I'm very excited that we are launching this green production and uh, Jolly, it's an amazing work all about it. Um, then, of course, I agree with Adam. Uh, it, green production mean it, it doesn't mean only if it is derived from a natural source, the material, but also what it will benefit. If it will benefit in fuel consumption, then I would consider it as a green material, right? As the forms that you said, Adam. We also have celluloses that they are used for packaging as well, which is derived from a natural source, of course. You can have several, I would say, materials that can be used in various applications that it can give either the biocompatibility or the biodegradability, or then you gaining in fuel consumption or energy. So it is very important. I think that's the most important part of this green. The material itself, for any, anyone that wants to have a look at what uh, this PLA looks like, uh, we have some pictures of that available on our uh, materialshub.com website. The material itself is not pretty, is it? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? I think, uh, it, it, again, it's um, it's down to what people want to do with it. And I'm sure there are some some attractive applications and, and uh, products that have been made using PLA. And you can paint it. So for sure it will be pretty. The way that you use the material, but at least you have the base that is um, that is green. Yeah, Even the paints that you can use for painting can be derived from natural sources. Let's say let's say beetroots, for example. So you have for I'm just giving an idea, right? So you have the biopolymer, and then you have the beetroot, which is was boiled in pure water, and then you can just paint it a bit. It will be a little bit reddish the color, so it will be better. 
that's a good way to mix the color with everything is green uh, um, a part of the color that's going to be red this material of course is is being a plastic they have a low resistance to heat and it melts quite uh, low temperatures there's any other materials any other plastics any other uh, similar to pla that could be used in high temperatures that you could think of there are no green alternatives but as a polymer let's say again the abs that we discussed previously, which has um, melting temperature around 200 degrees, 260, so it's above the PLA's melting temperature. And then why not use other polymers? It depends on the mechanical properties and on the application. But uh, as an alternative, we usually use ABS, even though it's not green. I think there's, there's probably still some work to be done with polymers in terms of finding green materials and green polymers that will, that will work at, at kind of higher temperatures. Whilst we have other polymers that have a higher resistance, is that to do with the fact that the base of that is not crops in this case for PLA and the other sources? Is that what makes the difference? I think in general, most of the mass kind of applications that are going to be using polymers and PLA, so in packaging and, and disposable cups and uh, maybe eventually fabrics and things like that are not exposed to kind of harsh temperatures. So actually, there's not necessarily as much of a, a pressing need to kind of develop kind of polymers that are um, resistant to high temperatures. And the applications that where polymers are used, where they need to kind of resist high temperatures, you're using quite specialist engineering polymers uh, in that case that I think uh, obviously a lot of R&D and a lot of work has gone into producing them. So producing a green alternative may not be that possible at the moment and it might not be that easy. I think the main thing is we need to develop more research in green materials so we can increase the applications and also decrease the price. Would that be something right to say, Aphrodite? Yes, of course. Uh, a lot of research is happening around green materials and green methods of production. And I would say not, not only for polymers, but for different other materials as nanoparticles and nanomaterials as well. I think that we are driving into the world of recyclability and biodegradability. And our environmental awareness is enhancing more and more day by day. I think we had some time talking about uh, this first uh, green material that we decided to choose for a podcast. Of course, we would like to know more about materials that everyone wants to, to talk about. And for that, you can use our email address, marketingatgoodfellow.com, to send us any suggestions, any ideas, any comments on, on those materials. Aphrodite and Adam, thank you very much for your time today. And um, I hope we can have another chat very soon. Thanks, Joe. Thank you very thank much. You very much. Materials inside and outside in have teamed up in their mission to make the art and materials world more accessible to everyone. We invite you to join us by sharing this podcast and donating to our page where 100% of the donations will go towards supporting the artists from marginalized groups. For more information or to donate, visit the website materialshub.com forward slash podcast. Outside In pretty much started on an experience that happened in a period of my life when I'd sort of fallen out of love with the art world and I ended up volunteering for a charity working with people with learning disabilities. I was immediately struck by the talent of the people at that table. You know, at that time I just remember thinking, my God, how lucky, you know, what, what, what a thing to have found. And just seeing how inspired and passionate they are about what they've been doing is really rewarding. 
One of the latest exhibition openings we had was for our recent national exhibition called Environments. For the artists to be in that space and witness people really valuing their work, buying it, just was so special to watch. So the, the aims for the charity are to uh, see it become truly national and people will then know the name outside in. The aspiration is to change the art world and you know you'd hope at a certain point that you'd become you know not needed. Which is why it's still so important that we are running these exhibitions that we are, that we're representing the artists that we do represent. I hope you know we'd get to that point where the art world is a much fairer place um, yeah and then I could step back. <laughs>
that really figures right across the world, I think, as well. You mentioned about the different coasts of, of US. There's so so many differences across from one side to another one. Before you become a, a street artist, you already said that you're a, a news photographer. Um, has that work, that previous work, helped you in any way as an artist? Yeah, most definitely. My work as a, as a news photographer really uh, has so much input to what I do now. People ask me how I how I classify my work, how I, how I classify what I do, and I I, I kind of say I'm, I'm more of a photojournalist now. But but my 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 medium has changed now. It's art rather than photography, and the way that it's helped me is that as a news photographer, you might be on assignment for you know a day, several days, and you have one opportunity, one photograph to portray to the audience the importance or the, the story behind uh, what, what you're working on. And it has to show uh, the impact, the, the human cost, the, you know, everything about that story must be conveyed in one image. And that's very much what I do now. Uh, the difference is I, I use paint and, and other materials rather than a camera. And talking about about your work, uh, I know that uh, uh, Smithsonian Institute in in Washington have some of your work. Was that your most proud moment in your career? Well, it's probably one of the most surprising moments in my career, and there've been quite a few of those. Um, I, I did a piece. It was just I think after Donald Trump was elected president of the U.S. I got a load of signs made up these were about 18 inches by two foot wide and they were they had on the future internment camp by order of donald j trump president of the united states and then the white house at seal on them it's when trump started implementing much stricter immigration reforms into the u.s and what i actually did was i think i got about 50 or 60 of these printed up and then i sent them around to people that had volunteered in various cities around the u.s and on one particular weekend i got everybody to go out and put these signs on empty uh, construction lots uh, you know empty building sites that had fencing up so they could well be uh, you know the proposed site for a new internment camp and we put these up and then it got a lot of media attention And I got an email from somebody who said, oh, my friend works for the Smithsonian Institute and would love one of your internment camp signs. Well, it didn't come from anybody in the Smithsonian. And I kind of thought, this is just somebody that wants one. He's got to stick it on his wall or sell it on eBay. So I replied to him, well, can you get your friend to reply to me? And the following day, I got this invite from one of the gallery directors at the Smithsonian of these sites. They felt it was of significant importance in the history and culture of America to include in one of their collections. So it was certainly a bizarre request. We found uh, one of the pictures of that uh, um, of that work and uh, we're going to have that available on our website, uh, uh, Matilda's Hub, uh, so people can actually have a look. It's, it's quite, uh, quite interesting. Um, how do you decide which materials do you use for your installations? As, as an artist, you have to look at what your end goal is the piece you want to create and then select materials that, that fall into that. It's very easy to find either methods or materials and then hold them up and think, great, what can I make from this? Whether it's acrylics, metals, plastics, whatever. Uh, but as an artist, I have to think about, right, what do I want to create and what are the best materials that I can select to use that? And quite often that means making mistakes. Sometimes the materials you choose just aren't practical because they're they're not possible to cut them well or you may be you may need some very ornate cutting which can be done with a laser cutter but then it's highly toxic to cut so you have to think bring in a, a lot of 
criteria in, into those materials. And as an artist, you're, I'm always trying to work with new materials, but that in itself has a learning curve. So something I'm making now can take me many attempts to make it successfully. But then once I've, I've nailed the technique from then on, it, it can be relatively easy. So it's a load of things, really. And obviously cost pays a part as well. One of the reasons why you created this podcast is to try to help people that don't have the technical scientific background in materials um, to be able to feel more confident to um, use materials without, without that risk. The way that we met each other uh, was through uh, one of your um, different projects from what you normally do um, as, as work was the, the fight against COVID. And of course, uh, the reason why we invite you a part of, of course, your amazing work is the fact that you use one of our materials. Um, there is uh, one of the, 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 the plastics, one of the, the polymers that we supply that we, we donate to help you uh, um, uh, help uh, uh, the, the, the health uh, um, uh, workers, doctors and nurses to, to get protected. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that story and that project? Sure. When COVID first hit, like everybody, uh, you know, I was aware of the news of a shortage of uh, personal protective equipment. And one of the good things about art and being an artist is you get to meet all kinds of people from various walks of life. And one of the people who I've met has become a friend. He's uh, He has some of my art and we regularly communicate back and forth. And he's a doctor in one of the what was one of the first hospitals that was really badly hit by COVID in Manhattan. And we were going backwards and forwards. He said, God, you know, God, you know, we, we're using protective equipment day after day, the same equipment. So I said, well, look, let me see if I can make you something in the studio. And I've got some PETG here, which I'd used for a product, project. So I first manufactured a few masks out of that. And then I believe I was speaking to Simon Kenny from Goodfellow, who uh, Simon Simon's great. He's one of those friends who has a, a great, unique uh ability to point out the damn obvious that you can't see so i'm talking to him about making these masks and he said you know what you need is a friend who works for a company that that supply materials worldwide and i said have you got something anyway that's that's how uh, goodfellows got involved and it worked out incredibly well it meant that we could then produce way more masks than i'd ever be able to do by myself i got another company involved a laser cutting cutting company here in los angeles we did all the cutting and then we did the fabrication and we literally converted my studio into a mask manufacturing facility we produced several hundred masks in the end which all went out to medical workers uh, right across the u.s and, and some further afield as well you mentioned already Simon, Simon Kenny, uh, our, our sales director. How was uh, work with Goodfellow, with the rest of the team of Goodfellow on this project? Well, I've got to say to Goodfellow, thank you so much for getting involved in this project. It, it made my life so much easier and it meant I could produce, as I said, way more uh, masks than I'd ever thought of. I thought I'd produce a, a couple of dozen here. But um, and I have to say, working with Goodfellow was a breath of fresh air. In Los Angeles, you had the most amazing creative people here whether they're people producing products or engineering or manufacturing, but a lot of them are creatives and we all know that that can have shortcomings in the real world of business. So I probably received the material here in Los Angeles way faster and way more efficiently than I would have done if it was shipped from somebody a mile down the road here in, in LA. So it, it worked out very well in the end. Great. I'm, I'm glad you had a good experience with us and yeah, in the future, more than happy to to work with you in um, other projects. And uh, I think I think you're right. Is we need to support the artists. And with that in mind, of course, uh, 
how did COVID affect you as 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 also a business, not only as as an artist? Initially, um, when COVID hit and businesses were shutting down, uh, LA ordered business to sh to close pretty early. And I think, like most people, none of us knew how this would affect us. Now, fortunately for me, I was able to pivot to some extent because. Uh, the previous year, I'd la launched a small clothing collection with some of my graphics on it, T-shirts, hoodies, uh, sweatpants, um, what do you call them, tracksuit pants? I don't know, wh whatever you call I can't remember what you call them in the UK anymore. Um, yeah, I think it's tracksuit in the UK, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but one of the things I'd added to that collection was some, some masks, carbon filter element masks. And I, I think I'd got 50 made up with my logo on, and I, I think I'd probably sold about half of them. And when COVID hit and the CDC here, the Center for Disease Control, was suggesting people should wear masks, I said to my wife, I said, look, I've still got 20 or 30 of those masks in the studio. Perhaps I should do a, an Instagram promotion. I also dropped the price by $5, so I wasn't seem to be kind of fleecing people. And I did a promotion one evening, sitting at home, and I'm sitting there, watching TV and I've got an app on my phone which takes orders and goes ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. And literally within 10 minutes, these masks were sold out. So for me, that was a bit of an eye-opener. And I said to I said to my wife, I said, well, look, I think I'm going to see if I can get an order of 500 together. So I put them up as a pre-order item and within a day and a half, I think I'd received orders for 1,500 masks, which I then had to get manufactured. My creative studio my art studio went from turning into a, a a mask a face shield production facility then into a mask sewing sweatshop quite literally i had four of us working here on sewing machines packing shipping all these mask orders so initially covid and that pivot worked very well but since then i found that people sitting at home looking at their walls of their home their apartment their house are pretty inclined to buy art right now to make the place in which the environment in which they live and work in uh, look good. So my art's been actually selling quite well for the past nine months during COVID. That's great to hear that um, COVID is, is not having a big impact on your business, even if having a big impact in everyone's lives. Um, Plastic Jesus, how is important uh, for artists like you to choose uh, um, environmentally friendly materials for the, work, the art that they produce? The environment and effect on the environment of, of the art and materials I use is, 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 is important to me. And I sometimes look at the, the, the amount of trash, the amount of rubbish that I throw out from my studio. Fortunately, a lot of that is paper-based materials. But then you've got to think about some of the, yeah, I use a lot of paints, a lot of those are acrylic. I try not to use solvent-based materials, but sometimes you just have to use these materials. So what I do is with items, if I'm making street art and it's a piece that's actually going on the street, then the use of materials is, is very important. You know, generally street pieces are only up on the street for a day or two, so they don't have to be particularly robust. So you can use things like cardboard, uh, you know, which is very biodegradable. As long as it looks good at the end of the day, you'll be surprised. I can put a street installation up in a public space and it'll look amazing. When you look behind the scenes, it's cardboard, it's gaffer tape, it's, you know, it's, it's all kinds of materials in there. Um, I try not to use too much plastics if I can in stuff where it, it's going to, to be a, a disposable kind of product. There, I'll generally kind of use wood or cardboard if I can. Um, but yeah, it, it is a worry. It is a concern, especially living in Los Angeles and the amount of pollution we have here. 
supplying materials like we do across the world, we look at that aspect too. And of course, we have a green brochure full of materials that will not have much impact on the environment. And we try to promote that with, with artists uh, too. Looking at, and of course, uh, we know each other. We've been uh, working uh, uh, close for, for the last few months. But uh, um, your name, uh, we already talked about plastic Jesus, um, there's, a, there's a story behind street art that uh, people think is Banksy. Are you often compared with Banksy in LA? Yeah, I think any artist anywhere in the world is compared with Banksy, quite simply because of the, the huge global impact that Banksy has had. Yeah, I, I actually got somebody, a gallery owner here in LA, who's been selling street art for a long time, actually pulled me aside one day and said, are you actually Banksy? But yeah, I, I get that. Um, I do get asked that. And I think it's it's inevitable. If you're producing art, street art, that has a cultural, political edge to it, people will compare you to, with Banksy. But to be quite honest, I, I should be flattered about that. I mean, the impact that Banksy has had on, on art, on culture, on society is huge. So I certainly wouldn't be ashamed of that comparison. And um, have your politics inspire your art or is the other way around uh, your art developer uh, develop over the time uh, to become more political both of those answers will be yes that yes politics culture society and news generally uh, influence my art but in the past few years where you know we've seen donald trump uh, come to, to you know become president and then lose the election yes politics became a, a major influence in my art so much so in fact when uh, if, if i can wind the clock back a bit uh, when donald trump was actually um trying to become president he said that he's going to build a big beautiful wall between the U us and, and, and mexico and i i built a, a mini wall around his star on hollywood boulevard that got a lot of media attention, which which was great for my work. But from then on, any time Trump did or said anything which was seemed to be radical or extremely biased or whatever, I would get a whole flood of emails from people saying, oh, Trump has done this, Trump has said that, what are you going to do about it? As though I'm the political opposition. And, you know, I never set myself up to be this, uh, you know, this opposition to, to Trump, but people have a certain expectation uh, of me um, and to be quite honest, that's a, that's a tough thing to kind of have to live with, really, to have something as an art piece that will, which will contradict or counter anything that a, a politician says. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of commitment. Yeah, in the last five years, you had lots of uh, inspiration from this right-wing government. What about now with the, with the new government, uh, with the Joe Biden in power? Are you going to change your your approach? You're going to carry on doing uh, um, having some some influence on, on the politics uh, uh, in US? I think yes. I think as a person, I'm politically engaged. I think it's important to get political opinions out there and to hold politicians uh, accountable. If I can just wind the clock back, I was getting so in involved in, in creating or the demand to create political pieces, it was kind of having a psychological effect on me as well. And as a result of that, I created some new pieces that were totally not political. I, I made a, a Fender Stratocaster that looks like it's melted in a puddle of molten material uh, on the ground. And a few other pieces like this, some acrylic uh, wall hangings. And that was to get away from politics, to try and give myself this clear kind of headspace to think. I think also when you're when your head, when your focus is solely on one subject, one direction, it's very difficult to be creative. You need to see opportunity everywhere to create great art or good art. 
So I think to get too involved in politics on either side of the political spectrum is wrong, but certainly over the next few years, I'll continue to produce political art. You also talk about your work as a shining small light in some dark corners of society. Which corners do you think now need more light? You know, we can all see dark areas in, in, in culture and society, uh, racism, inequality, um, income, uh, um, you know, imbalance and so on and there's a lot of these areas where civil rights and, and so on that, that really should be addressed that will have no detrimental effect to anybody in society but will improve society uh, to us all they're the kind of areas that I like to look at and, 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 and show use my art to, to get some focus on. Do you see um, that your art uh, inspire others to do similar things or at least to, to question them? Hopefully, I certainly get a lot of messages, emails, social media messages from other artists and, and even other people who have not really ventured into art who want to express themselves in some way. Like myself, I'm not a great writer, I'm not a great orator, but for me, creating a visual graphic image is a way where I can convey my feelings, my thoughts and my opinions. And certainly I get a lot of, a lot of people email me and message me saying that I've inspired them to either pick up a paintbrush or spray can and go and spray something on a wall, which is fine, it's expressing yourself. So that hopefully that's one positive effect, unless, of course, you own the wall that they've just sprayed on. But hey. From, from your side, uh, um, you don't have any problem, uh, and you already mentioned some of the changes on your work, to reinvent yourself. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about your career from the last few years, even before Plastic Jesus, and uh, to now, how did you reinvent yourself Uh, uh, during the years? Yeah, initially, um, I'll be very brief because it's, uh, you know, I, I started uh, in electronics as an electronics technician. That's really where my passion lied. As a, as a child, I'd, I'd be building a lot of musical instruments, synthesizers, mixers, you know, and things like this. So it was a natural thing for me to go into electronics and electronic sales. In fact, that's where I met uh, Simon Kenny from, from Goodfellow. I'd always had a passion for photography, uh, particularly news photography. I remember as a child, I was at my grandparents' house. I was probably about seven or eight years old, and my cousin, older than me, was reading a newspaper. And I just thought, wow, that's a really grown-up thing to do, to read a newspaper. I'm going to pick it up and read it. And I did, and I was too young to read it, probably, probably even read it properly, let alone understand the implication of stories. But one thing that caught my fascination were the photographs in there. It would have been during the 70s, it would have been photographs of the troubles in Ireland, trouble in the Middle East. There would have been football players with their long permed hair with beautiful girls on each arm. And it, the whole thing about these pictures fascinated me. So from an early age, I wanted to become a news photographer. And what I did, I literally sat on a beach with Simon, actually, on my 30th birthday and said to him, you know, when we get back, I'm going to give up my electronic sales job to become a news photographer. And I did that for around 20 years and I've been fortunate enough to travel the world to see some amazing things. I've been to you know, places of civil unrest, natural disaster, done a lot of investigation work into things like uh, people trafficking, money laundering, drug smuggling and, and so on. The transition to Plastic Jesus happened because here living in LA, more and more news was becoming celebrity news, uh, reality TV show news, and I wanted to start doing more creative work. And that's really where, where Plastic Jesus, I suppose, was, was born. 
and that a photojournalism career took you to, uh, like you already said, to really incredible uh, uh, places. Um, uh, I know some stories of that, and I know that sometimes you got almost yourself into some trouble uh, with some of the, the, the areas that you already mentioned. But you also have some funny stories about that. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your visit to um, a James Bond set? Yeah, I, I managed to, as a news photographer doing investigation work, you always get this ability to be able to kind of sneak in places to blend in with people. Um, and go unnoticed. I think they were making um, Tomorrow Never Dies with um, Timothy Dalton, I think, was a Bond in, in, in that movie. And I managed, you know, there's two ways of doing it, something. You do it so, so secretly that nobody knows you're even there, or you do it so obviously. So I think on that particular occasion, I put a high visibility vest on, I put a, a clipboard under my arm and quite simply just strolled onto the movie set. And I actually spent five days on set taking photographs with a little compact camera. And everybody just assumed I was the crew. And that's a system I used actually to a number, number of other movies, including Saving Private Ryan with Tom Hanks and, and some movies out here in the US as well. So it's that whole thing of um, hiding in plain sight can certainly work quite well. That was a, a great way to start uh, uh, get um, into the headlines of, of things getting inside of those uh, those big productions. Talking about headlines, which do you think is your uh, biggest uh, project on uh, with the biggest impact on society? Uh, that's that's a that's an interesting question because sometimes the piece that I'm most proud of is not the piece that gets gets the most impact uh, generally across the board. I think probably the phrase which I created, which is stop making stupid people famous, has been posted, tweeted, retweeted, blogged millions of times now worldwide. In I've seen it in Farsi, I've seen it in Chinese, Mandarin, in Arabic, I've seen it in French, in Spanish, you know, it's, it's just been posted everywhere. Because I think with society and culture, the way it is, people can relate to that. So that piece has probably had the most impact. Great, thank you very much for that. I do, I do have one of your T-shirts with that sentence. I'm still trying to get brave enough to, to wear outside, uh, but I will do that. Uh, Plastic Jesus, thank you very much for your time, and uh, was it's great to um, speak with you. Um, we we're more than happy, and we're all here to to help with any materials need for your next projects. Um, what are your next projects? You know, I'm always looking at things. I've got a few pieces that I'm making. One of them I can. Is, is in production at the moment, which is I wanted a piece that actually reflected 2020 and the, uh, you know, particularly here in the US. And I wanted something that, that showed the the anger that a lot of people had. Now, with art, you, it has to be something that people like to look at or has to be amusing. So what I'm actually making for that, it's generally it's a secret, but I'll tell you guys, is a beer carrier with six bottles of beer in that's called Burn It Down 2020. And instead of bottles of beer, there's six Molotov cocktails with the piece of burnt fabric hanging out the top. That's a piece I'm working on at the moment, which I think reflects 2020 quite well. It sounds great. Looking forward to see that out there. Um, thank you very much for your time and uh, hope uh, in the future we have opportunities to have other conversations with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for uh, allowing me to join you and all your help with the projects. Some fascinating stories there from Plastic Jesus. It's a pleasure to talk to him and support his work where we can. Thank you again to Aphrodite and Adam for joining us earlier. 
that's the end of our first episode. We hope you enjoy it and learn something about PLA and other polymers. Subscribe to our podcast and join us next time when we'll be talking about metal and ceramic foams. Jordan Kinney will be joining us to talk about his pioneering art in which he used ceramic foams. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can access all the information on the website www.materialshub.com. The images and any case studies mentioned can also be found at www.goodfellow.com news case hyphen studies. This podcast is also available on alternative podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, Deezer, TuneIn, Overcast and many more. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast and invite you to help us in supporting Outside In, the charity which aims to make the art world a fair place for everyone. Donations, no matter how big or small, make a huge difference to the artists who have struggled to make themselves seen. For more information or to donate, visit the website materialshub.com forward slash podcast.